Hey, Jolenta. Yes, Kristen. Did you know that every year around this time, 45 million Americans embark on a diet? Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. That is a lot of people trying to lose weight. Indeed. Losing weight is central to the new year, new you machine. Mm, Or as we like to call it here, new year, same old BS. (laughs) Exactly. And when we say old, we're talking at least 150 years of fad diets here in the U.S. And let me guess, we're going to be going all the way back to those early days in today's show, aren't we? Oh, not just today, but all month long. We got a series. Yes, we do. Because I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalenta Greenberg. And this is How to Be Fine. In each episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what's happening in the world of happiness, health, and betterment, and we offer a bit of advice to those who want it. And all this month, we're presenting a series we're calling New Year, Same Old BS, or bullshit, if you want to swear. Each week, we are going (laughs) to dive into a different fad diet, explaining what its rules are, why it's problematic, where it came from, and why it's historically significant. Oh, I'm so excited to get started. Kristen, what is our topic today? Today's BS diet is the cabbage soup diet. Ooh, the classic diet of my childhood, the cabbage soup diet. I feel like I saw that in like old sitcoms and stuff growing up. It's also known as uh, the gas-producing liquid diet, pretending not to be a gas-producing liquid diet, right? Like a little (laughs) farty. Exactly, exactly. And I'm guessing many of our listeners are familiar with this classic fad diet, But for those who aren't, I'm going to lay out the good, the bad, and the gassy. (laughs) First and foremost, let me just explain what the cabbage soup diet is and what it promises. The cabbage soup diet is a seven-day plan that promises adherents will lose between 10 and 17 pounds in one week. One week? Yes. Almost 20 pounds in one week. That's (laughs) not okay. No, it's not. And just like the name says, the bulk of this diet is cabbage soup, usually made with just cabbage, onions, tomatoes, bell peppers, celery, and Lipton onion soup mix, though there are some versions that also allow you to jazz it up with some carrots, green beans, V8 juice, or a bouillon cube. That's only if you want to go nuts. Wow. That (laughs) is some soup. That is definitely a soup. (laughs) Yes. For those who are familiar with our French Women Don't Get Fat episode from way back in season one of By the Book, you should scroll back and listen to that because this soup is not that different from right. the leek soup that we had to eat I was going to say, like, I'm getting a little triggered by this. <laughs> the, you know, if you really want a bouillon cube, you can yeah. add one. That's that's giving me French Women Don't Get Fat vibes. You're right. Indeed. And according to this diet, You can eat that soup in unlimited quantities, with the claim being that the more you eat, the more you'll lose. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> I do like that tagline. Don't know how true it is and don't know how much of that soup I want. <laughs> I think that a lot of people feel that way with the soup. The idea that the more you eat, the more you lose. It sounds promising until you're on like your sixth cup of it of the day. But that's why it's not just soup on this diet. In addition to the soup, dieters are allowed very small amounts of specific foods assigned to each of the seven days. So I'm going to just run down the seven days for you. On day one, you're allowed a little bit of fruit, but no bananas. Whoa. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) On day two, you're allowed leafy greens. On day three, fruits and vegetables. So, you know, maybe you can go nuts and have both a kiwi fruit and a lettuce leaf on day three. But you can't go nuts and have a nut. No, no, absolutely not. (laughs) On day four, things get really wild because you're allowed to have bananas and skim milk. On day five, you're allowed a bit of beef or in some cases, chicken without the skin, as well as tomatoes. On day six, beef and non-starchy vegetables. And finally, on day seven, you can have some brown rice, some unsweetened fruit juice and vegetables along with your cabbage soup. So this is basically like a dressed up starvation diet. It's a lot like French women don't get fat, except it's cabbage soup instead of leeks. And a lot, a lot, a lot of food restriction, calorie restriction. Exactly, exactly. Starvation is absolutely the right word. On most days, most people on the cabbage soup diet consume well below 1,000 calories, which is less than half of what adults should be eating in a day. And that starvation comes with a lot of risks. These include, I'm going to say them even though they're going to be really obvious, nutritional deficiencies, weakness and fatigue due to the low calorie and low protein intake, muscle loss, muscle Mm. atrophy, an inability to exercise due to lack of energy. Isn't that a healthy diet, Jolenta? Yeah, yeah. One you can't move your body. One where you're too (laughs) tired to get up and do stuff. Yeah. And on top of that, of course, moodiness, depression, and other things that come along with starvation. On top of that, due to the high volume of cabbage, this soup can lead to extreme bloating and flatulence, which we mentioned at the top of this episode. Also, that doesn't make me feel thinner if I'm super bloated and farty. Like, oh, when you can't zip your pants? Yes. <laughs> yes. Depending on the quantities of bouillon and Lipton onion soup mix, the soup can also contain very high amounts of sodium, making it risky for people with hypertension, kidney disease, and other issues. Because it includes so few carbs, the diet also has risks for people with diabetes. As with all extreme crash diets, it also leads the user down a binge-starve cycle rather than a healthy eating lifestyle. You know, I'm starving. I must eat. I'm starving. I must eat. The diet's finally over. Let's, like, eat all the stuff I've been wanting to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of all that, the diet doesn't actually work. All or most or even more of the weight loss tends to be regained once the dieter just resumes normal eating or once they are compelled to put everything they can in their mouths because they're so starving. Yeah, yeah, of course. Plus, anything that says you're going to lose almost 20 pounds in a week is just lying to you. Oh, God, yeah. It's lying and it's not safe. It's just not doable, not good. Don't do it. So basically, long story short, we know the cabbage soup diet is bad, but also I swear it was all the rage when we were young. And like every few years, 
it or some version of it kind of makes a comeback with a vengeance of like, just eat this for a week. Oh, my God, it's actually so failing. And I'm losing a lot of weight like (laughs) that pops up a lot. Why is it? And like, where did this come from? Where did the cabbage soup come from? (laughs) Well, those are very good questions. And, you know, some of the stories contradict each other. But let me start in the 1990s when you and I were kids, Jolenta, not just because we have such visceral cabbage soup memories from that time, (laughs) but also because that's when it became known as the first viral diet in America. And do you know what made it go viral, Jolenta? Uh, TV? Close. It was actually the fax machine, another (gasps) item that plugs in and makes noise. Yes, the fax machine. (laughs) Yes. For those who were not alive in the 90s, the 90s was an era when every office had a fax machine. And during that time, people were faxing the cabbage soup diet to friends, to workplace colleagues, to contractors, to clients, to vendors. People were just faxing it galore from one place to another. The diet spread like wildfire. And by 1995, mainstream magazines like Cosmopolitan and GQ, which was known as Gentleman's Quarterly at the time, Mm. also began publishing the recipe. As for why people fell for it, at the time, the diet was usually attributed to hospitals and medical centers with titles like the Sacred Heart Hospital Diet, though an investigation by the Washington Post in February 1996 found that there was no such hospital, and the institution with the most similar name, the Sacred Heart Medical Center in Spokane, Washington, they adamantly disclaimed it, saying this has nothing to do with Not us. Ours. Yeah. No, no. Their spokesman, Tom Sofio, <laughs> said, quote, absolutely 100%, no, nothing, nada. We never did it, never did research on it, never passed it out. They did everything they could to separate themselves from this diet, and they were getting inquiries every day about it. I would not want to be associated with that diet. <laughs> <laughs> well, turns out you're not alone, Jolenta. But a lot of famous people have been associated with it. In the Mm. 1980s, the diet had a different period of huge popularity thanks to a totally different technology known as the Xerox machine. In the 1980s, Xerox machines were in almost every office. I think we just call it a copy machine Copy machine, yeah. Yep. (laughs) And back then, people would photocopy the diet, and it was frequently called the Dolly Parton diet then. What? TJ's Miracle Soup, named after, supposedly, a member of Dolly Parton's band, maybe named TJ. Wow. Well, I have to say that is some good Xerox marketing because all of a sudden I'm like, wait, if Dolly's associated with it, maybe (laughs) I could be associated with it and then I'd be like her. But also, I know it's a bad idea in the back of my mind, but I'm more intrigued. It's working. Yeah, yeah. It was working for everybody back then. It's not just me or you who loves Dolly. A lot of people were interested in it. But that Washington Post team that was doing that investigation on the diet, when they reached out to Dolly's team in 1996, they also denied any association with the diet. Her spokesperson said Dolly's been on, quote, a lot of diets, but not this one. And she definitely did not invent it. So interesting. Who's behind the cabbage soup? It's not a medical center. It's not Dolly Parton. Do we actually know its real origins? Well, according to the American Dietetic Association, the cabbage soup diet originated around 1950. 
But there's other research that says it may actually date back even earlier. Many sources I found, and reminder, all of our sources are in the show notes. We always research every episode. So many other sources I found uncovered a recipe for the, quote, doughboy cabbage soup dating back to World War I. Uh, Mm. For those who aren't familiar with it, World War I took place between 1914 and 1918. But at that time, the soup wasn't presented as a way to lose weight, but as a means of preventing scurvy. Scurvy is caused by a lack of vitamin C. There weren't a lot of vegetables available to people in bunkers. So they were told, make this soup, use cabbage, use onions, use peppers, whatever you have available. And those are all those are all vegetables that actually tend to stay pretty long for exactly. a long time. So that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Yes. And they're low cost too, both of those. Right. Things. Yeah. But as a weight loss plan, the Washington Post found versions of the cabbage soup diet dating back as far as the 1930s. Oh, wow. When Raymond Ellis Dietz prescribed it to his patients. In the late 1960s, Dietz then passed the soup idea along to somebody named J.T. Cooper, an Atlanta doctor who used it himself. And then J.T. Cooper suggested it to his patients. In Cooper's words, it doesn't actually get weight off you but it takes away that empty feeling when the munchy monster comes after you. So Uh. what Cooper was saying is like, it just fills the space in your stomach, right? Right. And just to be clear, because my brain's getting confused, J.T. Cooper is different from the T.J. we were talking about earlier who might be a member of Dolly Parton's band. Supposedly, they're different people, but I can't help but wonder if maybe maybe those letters got resurrected when it came back in the 1980s. Right. Maybe those initials sort of stuck with it and accidentally got inverted or something. Yeah. That's my theory. That's what I think really happened. Interesting. Little detective. Cabbage detective (laughs) Kristen. (laughs) Moving ahead to the 1970s, a version of the diet almost identical to the one that hit Xerox machines in the 80s and fax machines in the 90s appeared under the name the, quote, Oriental 7-Day Quick Weight Off Diet rolls Ooh. off the tongue. It was created by the one-name author Norvell, N-O-R-V-E-L-L, you know, kind of like Madonna, just one mm-hmm. name. Yeah. And was the first to include not just soup, but seven days of supplemental foods in small amounts. Very little is known about this Norvell person, but we do know that there are a few other books by the author that sound just as legitimate with titles like Cosmic Magnetism, The Miracle of the Magic Power Guide in 1970, and Norvell's Dynamic Mental Laws for Successful Living, which was published in 1965. Right, right. So the fact that we know nothing about Norvell and these book titles are not leading me to think Norvell is that legit. Yeah, not super legit. Super. Oh my gosh, super. <laughs> like soup, cabbage soup. It took me a second. Uh, no, it didn't. You just didn't think it was. <laughs> I just didn't want to believe it was true. Jolenta, <laughs> uh, but those are just a few of the highlights on the cabbage soup timeline. Mm. I found plenty of other appearances of it over the past century, including in charm schools like the Dewberry Success Program for Young Women in 1944, New Woman Magazine in the 1970s. I found it in loads of other places. So it appears over and over again, even though we can't quite place who really deserves credit or blame for this diet. Right. So basically, long story short, the diet goes back a long way in the U.S., but 
no one wants to claim it as their own. No one wants to take credit for coming up with it or popularizing it. Exactly. Because as we already noted, the diet is extremely dangerous. It doesn't work. And while you're on it, you'll probably be very uncomfortable and moody thanks to all the starvation and gas. In my research, I did not find a single modern-day doctor who approves of this diet. Mm. And almost all of them warn users to just completely steer clear of it. Don't even try it. Just don't bother. In the words of Carrie Gans, who is the president of the New York State Dietetic Association, quote, the cabbage soup diet is nothing more than an extreme weight loss plan built around deprivation. It doesn't set anyone up for success in the long run. Any weight loss will most likely return and then some, and the dieter will have learned absolutely nothing about healthy eating. Wow. Well put. And thank you, Kristen, for all your cabbage research. I'm so grateful. (laughs) Oh, I was happy to do it, especially because, frankly, in my household, the cabbage soup diet was happening a lot off and on over the years. My mom was on it off and on, my aunts, some of my friends were, and that meant that I was on it too oftentimes. Right, right. If that's what, you know, the person who cooks the meals is cooking, then like that's why you're eating. Yeah. What about you, Jolenta? Did you experiment with the cabbage soup diet? I know you're familiar with it. I know you saw it going around, same as I did, but did you ever eat it? I think my mom did. And I remember thinking it was disgusting. I mean, I do love borscht. So there's that. That (laughs) is a soup with cabbage in it. So like I will eat that for enjoyment. But I have never dabbled in that diet. It does just remind me so much of French women don't get fat. Sort of take a like moderately somewhat flavorful green, boil it, and maybe add a few more veggies, call it a soup. Like I feel like my mom was always doing some sort of like soup diet. And its base is usually something where you're like, you can make a soup out of that? I guess. Okay. (laughs) Um, Something super low calorie. and. It's the lie that like this liquid with almost no calories in it is actually filling or it's tricking me into thinking I'm full. And it never works. When my mom was doing diets like that, she'd always end up breaking it within like three days and being like, screw it. And she would have lost no weight. Yeah, because her body is deprived. It doesn't have enough nutrients. It's All you do is get hungry for a week, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you done the cabbage soup diet? Did you like fax it around? (laughs) (laughs) I never faxed it around. As I said, my family was frequently on it, so I was. But I will confess that I too, like you, Jolenta, I love borscht. I love a lot of different kinds of cabbage soups. I make my own different varieties of cabbage soup. But Mm -hmm. normally it has a bunch of other things in it that are not on this list. For example, beans and pasta. So it's more like a a minestrone, something like that. So I, I do love a cabbage soup. And the smell of cabbage soup does not turn me off at all. I, right. I love it. But then if I just eat this version of it, I keep thinking, where's the real food in this? <laughs> like, why are there no garbanzos in this? Why, why is there no pasta or protein? Why isn't right, there anything yeah. in the soup I need a beet. I need a dollop of sour cream. Something. Something, something. to go off of. Or I need yeah. six grilled cheese sandwiches to supplement this. Ooh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. That also <laughs> is good with soup. <laughs> I need something because the soup on its own... Even though it might be good for a couple of bites, if that's 90% of what you're eating, 
it's not good. For many days healthy. in a row? Yeah. No. Yeah. And at that point, it's not a fun little thing to eat anymore. It's dangerous. And frankly, it feels punitive at a certain point. Right. And I feel like it's also a big gateway to disordered eating or relapsing mm. into disordered eating. It's a form of starvation. You're not fully starving yourself, but, you know, you're doing restriction to the point of tricking your body into thinking it might be starving. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not healthy. And for anybody listening, I, I hope that we didn't accidentally in any way make cabbage soup diets sound like they're worth trying. Please don't try this diet. Just because Jolent and I like cabbage soup doesn't mean we like this cabbage soup diet. No, no. Get some borscht? Sure. Cabbage soup diet? No. It's not safe. It's not healthy. But I will say this. It was fun to research because it's so weird. Oh, yeah. I love that no one wants to claim it. Everyone's like, not it. Not it. No. Ew. Dolly? No. Hospitals? Uh-uh. I love that that everyone's like, yeah, it exists, but I didn't. I didn't do it. Yeah. I also just love the history of how things go viral at different times in history, right. too. You know, as technology changes, how things go viral changes, right? It's also like the cabbage soup diet itself is a fart, you know? It floats around <laughs> and no one wants to claim it, just like the farts it makes you make. <laughs> but listeners, we want to hear from you. Have you ever tried the cabbage soup diet? Were you someone who shared it via fax? Do you still have a fax machine? Let us know at kristenangelenta at gmail.com or you can hit us up at our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash kristenangelenta. Coming up, a letter writer needs help first thing in the morning. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. We're back with our first listener letter of the day. Jolenta, what do they have to say? All righty. Our letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I need help with tips on waking up. I have depression and chronic fatigue, and I take medicine that helps me stay alert throughout the day. But getting up to take the medicine and get things done for the hour before it kicks in is so difficult. I have an 11-month-old daughter that I have to get up and take care of, and I am struggling so much. My husband ends up getting up with her more, and my marriage is on the rocks, not just because of this, but it certainly doesn't help. I have to figure out how to get out of bed in the mornings and get going. Please help. Oh, letter writer, we are sorry that you are so exhausted. Mm -hmm. You know, having a child that's under a year old is exhausting for anybody. Right. Even if you don't have depression and chronic fatigue, this is an exhausting time in life to have one of the a hardest baby. jobs ever. Absolutely. So we just want to tell you first and foremost, even people who don't have depression and chronic fatigue struggle with exactly what you're talking about right now. It is tough out there. Mm -hmm. So we apologize that you're going through that. We're sorry. We know it is tough. But we do have some ideas of how we think that maybe you can get more get up and go in the morning. And yes. Jolenta, do you want to start? Some of mine are kind of simple. But first of all, I wanted to say congrats on your baby. Congrats on keeping it together this much. I know it's difficult, but like you clearly want to make things better and I'm proud of you for just even writing to us because like that takes effort in itself. 
Yes. Yes. One thing that really helps me in the morning to wake up is a roller that's been in the fridge. I know it sounds silly. It does mean having to get out of bed for it, or maybe your spouse can bring it to you. But like a nice cool roller on your face, like a little stone roller, definitely helps invigorate me. It's sort of a gentler version of like splashing cold water on your face. Mm. They also make these sort of face roller things. It's not really a roller. It's more of just like a bar. But like they have these molds that look like sort of oblong, like egg shapey molds for ice and you make it. But then you only take the top off and it's like an ice stick that you can rub on your face and you can put like different essences in it or like different teas that are good for your face. And you can like make your own ice stick. Those also are very fun if you want something like cool and refreshing to sort of physically get you going. Also, I like a wake up song. If you use your Ah. phone for an alarm, you can set it to a song you like. And I have found that hearing a song sort of eases me into waking up and makes me less resentful of my alarm when it, when it's a song I like. <laughs> you may start resenting that song eventually, then you have to just change it. Just change it to another song. But I find having an alarm that isn't like rah, 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 or like some <laughs> like ding, 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 like having something I like makes me more apt to get up. Also, my last piece of advice is try to prep stuff at night if you can for the morning. Maybe set out some comfy clothes to throw on right by the side of your bed. Maybe make yourself like a water bottle and stick it in the fridge overnight or some overnight oats that, you know, are easy to eat. Because for me, my issue is I always have to get up and like force myself to eat so I can take my meds to like get going for the day. And it's that that eating part that's a huge pain in the ass. So if you can find a way to set that up ahead of time so it's just like ready to grab in the morning. Again, sort of knowing that you don't have to do a ton of work and like prepping stuff helps me get up at least. And hopefully it could maybe help you. I think all of that is great advice, Jolenta. And I'm just going to piggyback off your last point there. I also on my list of bits of advice have planned the night before. And plan the night before, I would actually say plan all the time to have those meds that keep you alert throughout the day. Have them on your nightstand. Have a glass of water, maybe in one of our how to be fine sippy cups because then it won't spill. You know, have some water there. And that way when you wake up in the morning, they are right there. You put that fresh water in the night before. And then the next thing I'm going to suggest you do is to have two alarms. I've had to do this at various points in my life for various medicines I've been on. So set one alarm that wakes you up maybe an hour before your baby normally wakes up. And when that first alarm goes off, just take one of those pills and that water immediately. And then have a second alarm that goes off maybe a half hour or 45 minutes later. That way, when the medicine kicks in and gives you that get up and go that you need, then you actually will have it cursing through your system so that you actually have the medical backup you need to actually do what you need to do. So that's two alarms. And again, I don't 
know what the timing is of your medicine, how fast acting it is, but it may be as little as 20 minutes later, it may be 45 minutes, but have that first alarm to take the medicine and the second alarm to go off when the baby actually wakes up each day or roughly around that time. So that is another hint. And then third, I would suggest something that I used to do sometimes when I was a little kid, which is to go back to Jolenta's night before planning. Maybe when you go to bed the night before, wear something that's closer to clothes than pajamas when you go to bed. That way, when you first wake up in the morning and bounce out of bed, that's one less thing you have to do. You don't have to put on a robe before you go to baby's room. You don't have to, you know, put on pants or whatever it is. Maybe you're wearing clothes that kind of are that crossover sort of loungewear type of clothing. So that might take one additional step out of your day that you don't have to do just to make it easier for yourself. I'm a big fan of like, let's make things easier for ourselves if we can. So Mm -hmm. those are some of my tips. Right. And listener, it does sound like you're already under the care of a mental health care professional. So be sure you're checking in with them and maybe ask them for some pointers because you never know what kind of cool tips and tricks they have up their sleeve. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one last thing, when it comes to your husband and the baby, maybe you can find other ways to balance out who's doing work at various times of the day. So maybe it turns out that he is doing most of the getting up with the baby, but maybe that can also be balanced out in other ways. You can talk to your husband and say, what would take other things off of your plate so that we can have a more even, you know, bit of labor that we are putting into parenting right now. I don't want you to feel like all of the weight of this is on your shoulders. Are there other things for those days that my medicine maybe isn't kicking in as fast as I want it to? Are there other ways that we can balance things out throughout the day or possibly on the weekends or in the evenings? What are other solutions we can come up with? Because it doesn't have to be all fixed necessarily just in the morning. There may be Mm -hmm. other ways to balance it out at different times of day. Right, right. Such a good call. So listener, we hope some of these tips help you out. And listeners, we want to hear the tips you have for waking up as well, because we always need them. Yeah, you can share your tips on our Instagram feed. We're at How To Be Fine Pod. We are going to take a quick break and coming up, a letter writer who is feeling pressured by her in-laws. Stay with us. We are back with our second letter of the day. Kristen, would you read this one, please? Yes. Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I'm married with a two-year-old daughter, and my husband wants a second child, and I think I am one and done. I told him how I feel, and I shared this with him privately, and he told his sisters and mom. Now I feel pressure from his family and my parents to have another child. What do you advise that I do? Oh, letter writer, I am sorry you have to deal with this. Part of me wants to say you should just start running around shouting like, my ovaries aren't your business. My womb isn't your business. But that might not be best for in-law relations. Yeah, that would be great if you could just yell that out everywhere. But honestly, I don't think the issue is your in-laws. I think the real issue here is your husband. And I I don't know who your husband is. I don't know what his deal is. I will say this. 
we all need to vent. We all need to have shoulders to lean on when we're dealing with marital discord or challenges. And I just wish your husband's shoulders that he were leaning on were not his family's. And I wish that he was talking to a therapist or a buddy Mm -hmm. or somebody else where there was not this kind of added pressure. And so I might have a talk with my husband if I were you and say, hey, I understand this is something that we're really disagreeing on right now. And I understand you need to talk through your feelings. And I would prefer you talk through your feelings with me, but I understand you need to talk through your feelings sometimes with somebody who's not me. Going forward, could you have the people you talk through your feelings with not be your sisters and mother? Can you talk through those feelings with somebody else entirely, with one of your dudes, with your therapist, with somebody else? Please don't make your sisters and mom, the person you bitch to about me. Don't vent to them about me. That does not help anybody here. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help our marriage. Please find other people to talk to about these things. It just, it sets up an us versus them situation. Right. And we don't need to have an us versus them situation. We are on the same team. We're not on opposite teams here. And when you talk with your sisters and mom that way, it sounds like you're on the team with them and I'm left alone here. So let's do all we can to get united again on the same team. And part of that is knowing who is most constructive to talk with about disappointments, about frustrations, and so on. So that's number one. Number two, I would say to my husband, husband, I need you to go back to your sisters and mom now and say, I know I vented to you in haste, and that was not the right thing to do. And your husband needs to be playing the diplomacy game now. He needs to smooth things out and say, that was a moment of haste. I was venting something that really I needed to vent to somebody who wasn't you. I would appreciate it if you would stop harassing my wife, your daughter-in-law, your sister-in-law. I would appreciate it if you could just table that whole conversation we had, leave that in the past. This is not your business to harass my wife about this. And it doesn't help bring her around to my position. So even if my wife does change her mind at some point, there's a good chance it won't be changed by you guys giving her a hard time. So she may change her mind. She may not change her mind. She may never want another child. Right now she says she thinks she's one and done. She didn't say for certain. But regardless, you pressuring her does not help our relationship or moving in any direction on this conversation. So mom, sisters, butt out. That is what your husband needs to do. And letter writer, I would strongly encourage your husband to have that conversation with them as soon as possible. So those are the first two things I would do. And then the third thing, I think that maybe you and your husband would benefit from some therapy, talking with somebody who can help you to better deal with communicating with each other and how to deal with it when your husband does need to talk to somebody and doesn't know how to talk constructively and how you two can relay differences of opinion. And obviously, this is a huge difference of opinion, one versus more children. Mm-hmm. And a lot of families have had to deal with these kinds of conversations and compromises before. I'm friends with couples who had to make this compromise, and they made it through somehow. And in some cases, it was thanks to the help of a therapist that they did it. So that's my three-pronged advice. But Jolenta, <laughs> I'm so long-winded here. I, I I need to let you talk for a little bit. Well, I second most of your advice. The couples therapist was top of my list where 
if it's really this difficult to like get your opinion and boundaries across to your spouse, like perhaps a third party helping mediate the conversation can help. And like you said, Kristen, basically like he started this mess, so he has to help clean it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if he didn't mean to start getting a family sort of ganging up on you and peer pressuring you, like he needs to fix it. And I would go so far as to say, like, it's going to make me want kids less if everyone's giving me shit about it. That's me. That's how I would approach it. But Kristen alluded to the same thing. Like, Mm -hmm. it would be great if he communicated that the more people that sort of nag you and get on you about this, the more sort of friction it's creating. It's not winning you over. And he can help make that boundary clear because he's the one who broke that boundary. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be a struggle. You guys may never fully see eye to eye. You may both have to make compromises, sacrifices, sort of bend to each other's wants. But that doesn't mean it's a family affair where everyone needs to be weighing in. And so hopefully he can at least help get like that factor out of the mix because he's the one who put it in the mix. Exactly. I think Jolenta, you and I are 100% in agreement on how to deal with this. And we hope, listener, that this gets better. We really do. We hope that you and your partner can have constructive conversations about this where you can both feel respected, you can both feel heard, and you can both feel that you don't have to gang up on anyone or be ganged up on. Right. Because no one wants to be like, how did you decide to have me, mom? And be like, well, everyone ganged up on me, so I felt <laughs> like I had to do it. <laughs> no one wants that origin story, and no one should have to live that origin story and make a kid they don't want. And that's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thank you, as always, to our outstanding production team, executive producer Nora Ritchie, producer Chantal Holder, and our composer and engineer Casey Holford. Don't forget, we love a good rating and review wherever you're listening. If you could just look down, maybe hit five stars, maybe write a little something about the show, maybe send us a topic you want us to cover on the show. We check our ratings and reviews. We will see it. Yes. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I am Jalenta Greenberg. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. Until then, stay fine. Stitcher. <laughs>